Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Wallace Bird over Zoom video. Wallace was born and raised in Ireland, and she talks about how she got into music. She comes from a very musical household. Uh, her brother is a drummer, another brother is a songwriter, so she has music within the family. She had a guitar since she was six months old, and she really started playing it uh, very early on, I think eight, seven, eight years old. Uh, but she had a really bad accident when she was 18 months old that took off four of her five fingers on her left hand. They were able to reattach four of them. So as a lefty, she ended up flipping the guitar over and had to really learn how to play guitar upside down, like a right-handed guitar upside down, which gives her a really cool and unique sound. But we hear about how she got into music, going to university for music and songwriting, getting signed to a couple of major labels early on, and all about her new record called Hands. You can watch the interview with Wallace Bird and myself on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Wallace Bird. You were born in Ireland? What? Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me about that. I was born in the southeast of Ireland um, in a place called, well, first of all, I should say where I was really born or else my cousins will kill me. I was born uh, in the county to the left of Dublin in County Meath. And okay. um, first five years of my life were up there. And then my parents bought a pub down in County Wexford, the southeast of Ireland. And I grew up in there. They bought a what? I'm sorry. I'm just so I'm bad. sorry. They bought a, a, an Irish pub, a pub. Oh, a, a pub. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I lived in a pub serving drinks. God knows what as a like five to 10 year old. And after that, we moved out into the country. Oh, wow. Did your parents yeah. keep the bar or no? No, I mean, it was no, it's just it's a lot of work. And uh, my father had a, a car crash in the first year in the first couple of months that they uh, bought the pub and um, so it was kind of just trying to catch up I hate to say it was just trying to catch up with them but like they they killed it they absolutely killed it so they did they did really really well considering they had seven kids oh a car goodness. crash that nearly killed my dad and um, like how do you do that um, that yeah, is so what I mean seven yeah. kids wow so what, where are you yeah. at in the in the list of seven are you older um, middle I'm number six. Number yeah, six. So, okay. Yeah. Um, What's the I, age difference between you and your oldest sibling? There's 10 years between myself and my, uh, it's, it's literally like, I'd say 11 months between each child nearly. Oh, wow. Okay. Like <laughs> uh, we call it Catholic twins. Um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it was just like that. I mean, many of my friends come from larger families and it's only in probably the last, well, the, the generation that are having kids now that it's much, much smaller families. What about America? Would it have been similar? No, not at all. Uh, not a, I mean, actually thinking about it, like my parents' generation and my, even my wife's parents, 
My wife's mom is from the Philippines and she has a massive family, like 14 siblings. Um, yeah. But her dad has a lot of siblings as well. He's from Chicago. And same with both my parents. They are, there's a lot of kids in both families. And then I only have one sister. My wife has one brother. So it's usually, I mean, I see as it scales down, I mean, it's usually two, three kids. Here in Tennessee, the, the I've noticed a lot of the families are a bit bigger. Um, you'll see mm-hmm. families that are have a lot more more kids. Usually, average are at least I would say three kids. Most most families right. here, um, yeah. but in in California, it was not like that. I don't know if it's because mm-hmm. the cost of living is way higher. I I, I really have no idea. But um, I came from yeah. two. My sister is actually eleven years younger than I am, so we had a huge gap between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But so like, oh my gosh, with six six siblings. Like, I mean, I would imagine what your oldest sibling is kind of having to babysit downward or how does that work? <laughs> uh, I often ask my dad, how, how did he, um, how did the two of them manage? And he said, oh, you just kick, kick one of the kids in front of you as you're walking and then hold the other one underneath your <laughs> arm. And, and uh, he was joking and say, you know, you used to babysit each other at one point, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I like, I don't know. I, when I imagine it, I just like to think of us as, you know, feral animals running around town, you know, and and, and them looking after the pub. But actually, we were we were pretty um, we were well mannered children, actually. That's like, good. Uh, yeah, uh, I think we were pretty well mannered, which is kids. Kids were raised differently in my generation. I think um, mm-hmm. you were you were kind of. Um, you were kind of raised to be extremely um, careful of other people and uh, not put other people out. So, um, yeah, we would have been very polite mannered, little crazy little fuckers. You can cuss. What we got up to, what we got up to outside of our parents' knowledge, uh, they'll never know. But, um, sure. Yeah, it's all what good. A- what about uh, music in your household? Were was anyone else in your family a musician at all? Um, my brothers and sisters, we all share a common uh, love for collecting music. So uh, we'd we've gained that from both of my parents. Um, my father was a DJ when he was younger. Was he really uh, like a yeah. radio DJ or like he'd spin in clubs? Spinning clubs. Wow, um, that's amazing. Yeah, himself and his brother had um, a DJ duo and uh, they used to have like go-go dancers and wow uh, yeah they were they were pretty hip um they, they probably have, have a rad collection of music oh my god i recently um fixed i recently alphabetized his half of his um vinyl collection and it took me a whole day you know wow um, and i had guns afterwards god it was it was very satisfying though um and my mom is a big door of music she she'll you find her singing all day listening to the radio and uh, her father was a, a political songwriter he used to sing um political songs to piss off the local politicians and keep them in check <laughs> which i only found out you know like 10 years ago or something so wow. i wondered yeah my you, mother, how, would they find out about it like would he release songs enough to where people would hear them and and you know, it would get back to the politician. Yeah, no, it they would usually the politician was in the room. I mean, small communities <laughs> gathering. Um, 
So he he was always saying some something about a job that they did, and um, if they weren't transparent, he would um, highlight that, and he would offer solutions to transparency by by way of them possibly getting another job or somebody else that would easily do their job better than them. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like you know you're being watched. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, he was he he was never. Um, well, my granddad was respected. He was he was a poet, like, and he wasn't unjust. Uh, he was he was just kind of speaking for people, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was he was also really smart and uh, smart as in clever, funny about it. Um, yeah, so it runs along. It skips many generations as well. Um, but. Yeah, my brothers and sisters, we also play a couple of instruments. My brother's a great drummer. My other brother's a great songwriter. Um, and we've all kind of worked in the industry via booking or singing or playing um, in some capacity. So, wow. Yeah, we're all mad about music. Did you any? Or did you ever play together, like as a collective sibling band? Ellie family. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, we've sang together at sessions. I have to say my my brother plays um, music in a really good covers band and he's out like more days than I could ever hope to be. He's got a better job than I do. And um, he's just, he's a really good showman and he's very good at bringing rooms together. So we'd, we'd often go to his shows, you know, because mm-hmm. um, it's somewhere where we all can dance and sing and we all know the, all the lyrics and he's just right. such a good crack. Um, so that'd be the kind of ways that we come together with the music. We've never sang together, um, but I have played uh, with my little brother who's uh, who sings in the band a couple of times. And that's really adorable, really cute. He's that's very good. Yeah. OK. What about your the drummer? Has he ever played on any of your records or anything? Stephen, yeah, he. Uh, so he's the guy who plays in the covers band. Uh, he did play on my second record. I got him to sing a little bit and play some drums on that. Oh, cool. Yeah, but I, anytime I asked him, he kind of shied away, um, probably because I was mean, mean big sister. Okay. Which you, I wouldn't uh, now, so you, you were know? the one, he was the one younger than you then. Yeah. He's the, the only younger, younger sim- <laughs> your only younger sibling. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? <sighs> Treating my little brother like, like dirt because I could. It's such a stupid thing to do. Now we get on like a house on fire, but I remember... We were just much too old to be throwing punches. <laughs> we were like, oh, God, I don't know. We used to kill each other. But um, now we're just uh, we get on really, really well now. It's kind of it's got a- over all of that. Yeah, it's cute. That's awesome. So what was the first instrument you learned how to play? Was, was it the guitar? Yeah, so I got a guitar when I was six months. Now, that sounds stupid, but um, it was six just months. Yeah. It was just a toy, um, but I start, but it was beside me and it was like my, I suppose, kids get attached to their teddies and stuff. I got mm-hmm. attached to my guitar. Wow. Um, yeah. So I've had it in my, in and around me, my whole life, actually. Did it have strings? Um, like, was it a, like a stringed toy guitar? Yeah, it was um, like, a, like they made, they didn't make crap back then. You know, my father would have got a half decent kind of something that was you know it was a baby guitar it was the size of a ukulele except it had six strings on it and i used to use his tie to tie around the strings and then around the neck and go around my shoulder until I realized oh, okay the tie is covering the strings so it doesn't work um 
but yeah, so ever since ever since the, I noticed that the strings could make a sound, I've just had it around my shoulder. So, you know, as a baby. Um, but the first instrument that I remember was um, when I was a toddler. I was um, an accordion. My grandfather had this beautiful pearlescent accordion, and he he said, "Wallace, look at this." <laughs> and I just thought, "Oh my God, it's breathing!" Yeah. Um, and he told me that's an instrument. It's called. And I, I remember thinking, "Oh, this is music. This is music." But it sounds like a pair of lungs. It sounds like breathing. And that was one of my earliest memories of music and instruments, really. Did you continue at all with the accordion or is it something you just kind of picked up as a kid and put it down? No, I never did the accordion. Um, it's, it's a bit too hard for me, actually. It's just so it's coordinating like it's heavy. It's yeah, I love coordinating things like I'll, I'm, I've limb independence, but accordion, I could never get it. I just leave it up to somebody who's good at that. But mm-hmm. I do really enjoy the sound of it. Um, the closest thing that I would do is a, a shruti box, which is an Indian, has a back pedal on it. You know this thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Box. Yeah. Um, really love those, the the drone box. Um, but yeah, I, I love the, um, what is it? Air passing through a, what what is, what is it? The mechanic of a, an accordion, air passing through a reed. I love that sound, mm-hmm. yeah. Sure. That's, that's really cool to have that experience that young. I mean, especially with an instrument like the accordion. Um, well, I know you've had, you had an accident and how old were you when with, with the accident with your hand? Um, I was like 18 months old when that happened. Wow. So, so you're off. very young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it chopped the whole thing off twice actually so you know when every finger was cut twice my my parents told me just as I was home um, a couple of weeks ago um, and they managed to salvage this finger which is quite exceptional considering like I'm almost I'm almost 40 now so it's exceptional to imagine um, a local hospital really taking care and managing to do such an intense surgery at such my fingers would have been the size of matchsticks Right. I mean, 18 months, that is so young. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, these things happen and uh, I was very young, so I didn't, it didn't play much of a role in my growing up. It was just something that was part of me. Right. And um, as time passed by people, as I was beginning to get really into music, say, I don't know, eight, seven, eight years old in school, you know, um, people would say, oh, but it's so sad you'll never be able to play the piano properly. And I remember thinking at that age, like, why wouldn't I be able to play the piano properly? I'm just missing a finger. Anyway, if I if I was missing two hands, I'd still be able to play the piano. I'd still try like it's down to what you want to do. So it did affect me in that case. It did make me feel sorry for people who felt sorry for me because I didn't feel sorry for myself whatsoever. That's a great outlook. I mean, uh, seriously, to, to just be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like I could do anything that you can do. What are you talking about? Um, As stubbornness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you, were you always a left-handed guitar player? Or were you, always, or no. did, did you have to kind of switch because of your hand? Yeah. So I was, I was left-handed, um, born left-handed and I was, you know, holding things with my left hand and uh it was my pref- preference hand um 
so yeah, I had to swap over. But like I say, I mean, well, to me, it was my life. I, I have to look at it like and take it seriously that the guitar was always around my shoulder as soon as mm-hmm. I, you know, could hold anything. It was always there. So I was playing it one way and I had to learn to play it the other way, um, which was, an, I'm, yeah, seemingly was was really annoying because I had bandages on my hand for a long time and uh, I would be crying because I couldn't play. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, it was I was a baby. It was fine. I was just going to get over it and find something else, probably, if that wasn't it. Sure. But I mean, to still have that love and, and to the point where you're like, I'm just going to learn left handed. You know, I, I want to yeah. play this so bad and I'm going to learn left-handed. But what I think is very, I mean, interesting, it's not interesting, but like the fact that you were able to not only play left-handed, but you, you play it where the, you play a right-handed guitar upside down. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like a whole nother level of like using your brain to figure out how to, to make the chord. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that happened fairly early on. Um, my guitar strings uh, broke entirely and my father brought me back to a music shop to restring it. And the shop restrung its standard, which is right-handed. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, I took my guitar back and I was like, this is not at all the same. This is a puzzle. Now, um, I guess I was about six or seven at that stage um, when I was starting to take the guitar seriously. And um yeah, it was re-strung and standard and I found something a little bit more, a little bit more um, like a flower blossoming for me. It didn't begin with the bass notes. It began with the top notes and, and there was a much lighter, brighter um, frequency and feel and vibration to it. So uh, I started playing around and within a couple of hours, I remember the feeling of being like, oh, this is actually even better. Um, so then after that, I never changed. And uh, with time um from being you know an 18 year old upwards i realized that house parties everybody's got a right-handed guitar nobody ever has a left-handed guitar so, so it um, worked in your favor kind of right yeah <laughs> yeah like any lefties that i meet uh and they're just starting i would uh i used to consider i, I probably shouldn't i'm not sure if it should but i asked them to consider learning a right-handed guitar for that exact reason because um you it's just a different sound and it's a bit more accessible, I suppose, mm-hmm, in terms mm-hmm. of traveling and um, getting around and partying and stuff. How's yeah, that? the only and I'm sure it gives you that gives you such a unique sound and just like a totally different perspective on songwriting, I would imagine as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of how it sounds, look, I'll grab my guitar really quickly and show you just. <laughs> So the guitar would kind of start if you hear it. it starts in the other way, it's like this. So it just felt, and my my finger can move around. I have more uh, freedom with my baby finger. I have more freedom with open sounds with open d and it's just generally i have a bit more freedom of of um, finger movement with the with the left-handed guitar so is it still tuned standardly like do you just tune it like a normal ready guitar that one is tuned to um well i do it i do standard a lot but i tend to go with um 
Dad gay. Gay dad. Wait. Just because it's, um, well, I suppose it's a bit more tribal. It's a bit more okay. tribal. I'm, I don't have an ounce of theory. I really tried, but I never, theory never stuck with me. I never learned how to read or write music. So for me, that, that, uh, dad gay is something a little bit more feely um, a little bit more it has pentatonic and it has you can do standard but I think standard is slightly too slightly too regimented for me it gives me I also read that when guitars were um, made it was initially supposed to be in the key of dad gad because a guitar was supposed to be in dad gad because it, it allows the string to sing or whatever, something, something between the frequencies of um, the harmonic frequencies, how they uh, vibrate off each other. Something works better with with dad gad rather or dad gay rather than in standard, you know. Mm-hmm. So they say. So, so I've read. Say. <laughs> <laughs> so they right. say it's a whole lot of lies. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's um, the only other musician I've ever seen do that is, uh, do you know the band, the Ataris? Yeah. yeah yeah chris Rowe, the singer this the guy that writes the songs and plays guitar for the ataris does the same thing he's a lefty he plays the guitar upside down a righty guitar upside down so i was i don't yeah. i don't know if you could tell that if you like were to listen to the songs i wonder if it's something that you would be able to pick on a lot you know more, you'd be more familiar with what he's doing versus somebody that doesn't play that way true yeah i, I guess it would sound good yeah yeah true it, it it would sound it would sound different it's like when i hear somebody play my guitars um the the guitars i play are lakewood and whenever i hear a recording of that i i know immediately that that's that guitar it's like somebody knowing what kind of a dreadnought or a whatever a taylor or whatever something like that uh-huh. you know the feel of it yeah that's i must listen to the atari's in fairness <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just remember seeing them for one of the first times I ever saw them play live. I was like, whoa, like, what chord is he playing? And then I finally realized, <laughs> oh, he's playing like a power chord, but almost like the opposite. Like his hand is opposite of how it would, you know, I would play a power chord on my end. But yeah, it was just, I, I when I was watching you play, I was like, whoa, this is so cool. Because you have that video on your Instagram of like, you're showing like a strumming pattern, like a rhythm pattern. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought that was really rad that you do that as well, where you, you know, you're kind of teaching how, how, how to play. Yeah. It's um, I watch, I watch a lot of nerdy videos online and I should be, should be doing it more because I, I consume so much learning uh, lessons online that I should absolutely be doing it more. But um, I'm in the process of setting up a school that um, taking on kids uh, for, you know, that they can just learn my instruments. That's how I'm going to start. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Just taking on kids for free. No, no cost. You know what I mean? Just bring your guitar and let's sit in a circle and play. And that's I it. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Because so I cool. got so much from other people doing nice things for me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's like, you should do, you should do that. Absolutely. Pay forward. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, back to you and your music then. So you, you got the guitar, you, you had to flip it over and that all started, you said around what, six, eight, between six and eight when, when yeah. you really started taking it seriously. And at what point are you trying to write your own songs? And like, what was kind of the next step when you, when you were, after you learned, you know, the basis of what you were doing, what was kind of the next step for you? 
Um, the singing, writing and playing came hand in hand. Like, um, so if I didn't have a guitar in my hand, I was sitting, I remember sitting on the grass as a, as a kid and I saw the moon and the sun in the sky at the same time. I'd never seen anything like that before. And uh, I wrote a song about that at that moment. And I really liked the feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess I would have been about uh, possibly about four or something like that. Um, and I remember the feeling it was summer. I'm sitting in the grass. I see the sun and the moon in the, se- in the sky at the same time. I've never seen that before. So I sing a song saying how beautiful that is. And the song made me feel good. So I kept repeating it and that made me learn. And then I took the song and played it with my guitar. And so it, it was always hand in hand. They, for me, it's um, I always consider it just conversing with a friend. Um, that's how I, it's always been for me. I, it made me feel not alone. It made me kind of put sense into my experience on this planet. Um, and later on, it, it developed into trying to make sense of um where I am in this world and what my existence means and if anything at all, you know, existence doesn't have to mean something. Um, yeah, it's just a process ever since then. It was just given to me and I all I know is that I'm supposed to be doing it and I'm supposed to give it a load of time and I'm mm-hmm. supposed to love it and nourish it and that's all I've ever been doing. I've been lucky enough uh, to be in given something that I'm supposed to take care of. And that's the way I consider it. It's a spiritual thing. Yeah. 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 Well, with that, like, were you playing in, were you always just kind of a solo act or were you like through high school or middle school or even up to, because I did read that you went to like, you studied songwriting, you moved to what Dublin to study songwriting. But prior to that, um, were you in a band or anything in, in those earlier years and were you playing around the, the area that you grew up in? Yeah. Um, geez, I would have been them, one of them kids that I was, I was kind of hated school and I just wanted to get out of it for any reason. So usually extracurricular stuff was like choirs or shows or, um, and it always looked like really, really good crack between people. That was always where the really nice teenagers were gathering and, and it looked like really good fun to do musicals and uh, all sorts of teenage gathering, community gathering shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've been doing that since, properly since I was 10, uh, taking part in shows. And um, I was lucky enough to be in a town, to grow up in a town where um, that was what you did that for the summer that you were fierce busy with that, you know, hanging out with other kids. There was athletics and gymnastics, sports and um, shows. And I, I tried, I was into sports and I was into shows. Um, so, yeah, ever since about 10, I've been competing and well, not com- it's hardy competition. I mean, you take it seriously at the time, but I, I don't consider art a competition whatsoever. I just mm-hmm. really like taking part in team sports and um, and trying to push yourself further for the embetterment of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, so that's what I took from it. Um, yeah, and then, you know, growing up and going into school, the way to get out of class was to join the choir or um, help the teachers out doing the musical things and, and music was natural to me. So, yeah. 
And then I eventually was like, well, I'm terrible. I was truly not very good in, in school. I enjoyed it, but I, I wasn't interested in um, getting good grades because I figured, well, sure. I mean, you know, I'm never going to be a doctor or, you know, some, and I probably don't want, I didn't want to get a job. I just wanted to travel and I didn't see um, that kind of life for me. So I figured schools, schooling results is not really important to me. I'll find interest in something because I knew it was good at stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's all I yeah. Had you just on. didn't care about doing the, the school stuff. Right. I mean, <laughs> the, which yeah, makes sense to me. I mean, like, why you know? push kid? I don't, I don't know. The whole system for me is just kind of mind blowing. Like my son's yeah. going into uh, high school next year. And like, he's got to pick a career, like this high school, it makes you straight up pick a career path and follow it for the next four years. So you're, yeah. he's turning 14. He's got to know what he's going to go like do until the, you know, 18 when he's finished with high school. And then what do you, you know, what if you're, you're a year and a half in, you're like, ah, I really didn't want to do this. They basically make you continue. So you, yeah. to me, it just like, I'm like, wait, what? I mean, yeah. there are kids, but he, if he was, say he was really into playing guitar and writing music, that's not a song. That's not a path. You couldn't say, you know what? I, I want to be a, you know, a musician. Okay. I'm going to choose a musician for the next four years. Like that's not, an, it's like yeah. you have to choose your, your lane, but there's only this many lanes you can jump in. So pick one of these. It, I, but uh, to me, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense <laughs> when it comes to that. But I guess that's why a lot of kids don't go end up going to you know university and college and everything because it's like, well, I don't need that if I'm going to do what I want to do for a career right outside of this. But um, mm-hmm. anyways, well, you ended up going to school for music, right? You you attended a college in in Dublin. Um. Yeah. And it did the only reasons why I took it on was because I didn't have other choices because I didn't have the technical grades, you know. Um, So I thought, well, you know, I I mean, there's not much for me um, because people didn't take music seriously as a career or something. It was more a hobby. Mm -hmm. And I suppose I didn't consider it being a hobby until um, or anything more than a hobby until I, I remember getting my first paycheck from a gig and was just like, oh, all right. That's weird. Like, I just Um, make money. That makes me a professional at this. (laughs) Yeah, it was, what, is that, is that what this is? I mean, you know, I mean, but all that afforded me was to go off and uh, do stuff that I wanted to, such as hanging out with friends or, or heading on a bus to go somewhere or, so, um, yeah, I went in and I decided, I was like, look, uh, I think maybe I'm into drama. I've been taking part in all of these drama shows. I'm not very good at acting, but I'll, I, I'll give it a try. And then that course got cancelled and they were like, would you like to try the music class instead? And I was, you know, 18, still not having a clue what I'm doing. I said, yeah, why not? Why not? Mm-hmm. So I did the course and um, thankfully my teacher was unbelievable. She taught me, um, well, very early production, how... Um, how to engineer correctly, how to uh, set up your studio. And um, it, it just feels like, a, it feels, when I explain my life out loud, it sounds almost absurd because I've been in studios and I've been in industry meetings since I'm 12. 
I got offered a publishing deal when I was 12, which is wait, what? Yeah. Really? How did that happen? Well, I was playing with a duo uh, with Eugene Waters and Wallace Bird. We were Wallace and Waters. And uh, well, a a publishing guy, a very well-known publishing guy in Ireland who was living in the town where we were playing was just like, right, I want to work with you. Here's my contract. I get 60, you get 40, and I'll have you on this show, this, 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 this. And uh, Eugene was all for it, and I knew we were good together, but I was like, I don't, I I should not be sitting in this room on my own. I'm mm-hmm. a 12-year-old. I, How old is Eugene? Um, 14. Okay, so um, you both shouldn't have been in that room by yourselves. <laughs> not in the slightest. And right. I just remember thinking, well, that's a fucking, that's a, no, that's a niche niche. Um, yeah, it's like, okay, let me get this straight. You're going to make 60% and then we as a, a collective are going to make 40. So realistically, I'm going to make 20% of everything that I'm doing. Like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, uh, um, and anytime I asked a question, it was, it was like, good question. And I thought I shouldn't. No, I shouldn't be in here on my own. And that made me uh, realize that I also didn't. Uh, God love Eugene. It wasn't it wasn't nice for him. But that was that mo- moment as a 12 year old in a meeting with a, a, a high roller, let's say, in Ireland um, that I didn't want to work with anybody else. I didn't want to write with anybody else. I wanted to be on my own um, and I wanted to be. Uh, with somebody I trust that knows what the fuck this guy is talking about because I haven't a clue. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is signs all the way through my life that my life was already going into a stream very, very early. Um, I bought my own little four-track Tascam desk that year then and I was recording overdubs for myself and my friends and we were doing drum kits. I was later on that year we rented a studio and recorded a four track EP with, you know, and I played a full band on that. And then after that, um, I started learning the computer to produce on a computer. And it was like, so my whole life has just been kind of stepping stones towards something where I just only recently realized, oh, this is my life. (laughs) (laughs) This is a career because it's only ever been processes of learning and small changes and, there's never been big breaks. There's always been, there has been big breaks. Okay. But I don't even like to consider them as big breaks because it kind of overlooks the amount of steps that those big breaks take. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So it's, it's my whole life up to this point. I'm consistently learning, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure everybody can say. Yeah. Wow. Well, did you end up signing that deal at 12? No, I, I was okay. like, uh, even in that room, I was I was saying thanks very much, but I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> That's smart, very smart, as, especially at twelve. And somebody's going to be like, "Hey, I'm going to be able to do all this stuff for you as an artist." Like, and you yeah. thinking like, "Wow, you know, this is what I want to do. I've been doing that, and this person's going to elevate me to the next level." But to have the smarts to be like, eh, "I don't know about this. this; doesn't sound too too good for me yeah, on my end." Was mental as well. Right. Um, I even still considered that. I mean, it's not the same case now, but even up until the day, I was like, you'd want to be pulling some really heavy duty um, workload into somebody's life for you to hand over 60 percent of your work. Um, 
And even to this day, I like own your masters, own your work, own, you know, own everything mm-hmm. of your work. Um, because in, especially nowadays, it's the artist that has to do all of the work. Labels don't take risks. Managers don't take risks. There is I mean, no risks. Yeah, not anymore, especially with numbers that are, you know, black and white in front of them, right? They're like, oh, this song has 8 million streams and they don't have a label or manager. Maybe I should reach out to them. Oh, this person oh, no. has a million followers on TikTok or Instagram, whatever it is. Like it, it, there's the, the metrics are just right there for people. I mean, they don't, I mean, there, there's got to be other, there's got to be labels out there, people, A&Rs out there that are looking for that. But I mean, a lot of the work's done for them now. Yeah, yeah. And and you talking to all sorts of um like you say legendary and and up and coming arts. Like how is it how you find what's the story now with with new acts how's how can you fucking survive in this day and age? Uh, I mean as an artist what are you finding? Um honestly just just keep the the most because I'm going to ask you this at the end anyway. Uh, like if you can give any advice to an aspiring artist, what would it be? And and everyone just says like, don't stop, keep going, mm-hmm. keep putting out songs. Like you might have a hit at one point, but even then, like I, I've talked to a lot of artists that have landed that TikTok, especially within the last year and a half, especially because of, you know the pandemic. Then people were all jumping on TikTok, and then these songs were generating all of this buzz and even you know hitting the radio and and these with basically no budget, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody like Lil Nas X's biggest song ever was like, he bought the beat for 30 bucks. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and then he's got the biggest song ever at the time. I mean, I think it's won the most awards like ever. It's been like the most time on billboard, but anyway, like in this day and age, like you, anyone can make them, anyone can make songs and on, on like little, to no budget. And it's just being able to build your own, you have to really build your own brand as yourself before even going to a record label is what I've, I've been hearing a lot of. It's like, be your own, like build your own, you know, following your own streams, all that yourself. And then if somebody comes to you, then it's like, okay, I've already done this. Now, what can you do for me? How are you going to get me to the next level? Instead of like, I'm desperate, help me get to the next, the next level. Like, it's really about just kind of building yourself up which is hard i mean i don't know how to do that at all like i mean i wish yep. i did i mean mm-hmm. if i had the 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 formula to like acquire all this following and stuff like i mean that would be an amazing thing to know but like it's just interesting to see how certain things will land and you know it just kind of comes out of nowhere yeah yeah and even when that so, happens I've, I've talked to artists that are chasing that like you land a huge hit on tiktok right and then it's like oh now i gotta write a song that's going to, I got to stay in the public or stay relevant. So now I got to put another song, but then it's like, but I want to, I need to, do I need to put out a song that sounds exactly like the one I just did? Cause it worked. It's like, it's this weird, you know, like you're kind of chasing your tail a little bit. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, you can hear that like chasing your tail in um, modern radio. I don't know how it is. I mean, America's a huge, huge landmass. But uh, in Ireland, we have 22 independent uh, stations, 22 mm-hmm. stations that are disconnected. And, um, oh, I mean, I hate to say it, but there's, well, there's seven or eight huge radio stations and they have between, you know, 120 and a million listeners or what have you, which is, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking at Ireland's small country. but And uh, 
the hard hitters on the radio, the ones that get played the most, I, I hate even hearing this, saying this out loud because I sound old, but it's so homogenized because a formula works. And like say radios are bought by advertisers now, so they can't even chance risking losing advertising money and advertising budgets. So they have to stick with the things that sound all similar. The things that work. That work. Yeah. Right. It's, it's unfortunate. It's a weird world. The radio is, I mean, that's what I came from. I did 15 years on the radio and it's like, and watching that now though is even more fascinating to me because it's like, no, like my kids, my, my older son gets radio cause he grew up with being at shows and stuff with me and, and being, I put him on the air a lot and it was stuff like that. Like they, yeah. so he gets it, but his friends don't get it. And my younger son, it was not going to have even a clue because it's just so, it's just like such a Jurassic like form of media. And it's weird. Playlists it's really weird. Over. I and feel like for sure. Yeah. Well, I do love that. I mean, I, I'm a, not going to say I'm a fan of certain streaming operatives, but um, in terms of, the amount of music that I listen to, like I can, I listen to from anything from uh, abstract niche to, and it's all there at my fingertips. Mm-hmm. And I never before have I had that, anything really like turtle sitting on a, a block of cheese and probably somebody has a song about that. You know, it's uh, and it's an amazing world because you can write a song and release it that day. It's uh-huh. um, that to me is brilliant i love that and some people say that that's noise but i'm like okay but i'm listening because everything's valid well that's the thing too is like there's yeah there's a ton of noise but the stuff that cuts through is obviously has draw to it and again it's like metrics in real time like you can't buy i mean you could buy advertising to push a song but that that doesn't mean it's going to do anything think of all the movies that have put out like these insane budgets and all the amount of money they spend into it. And then they just flop in the box office because no one cares. Like it's risky. It's now the risk is kind of is much lower for, for the bigger companies because of that. But yeah, but the radio thing is interesting to me just because here in the States, there's, I mean, there's, a, there's a, only a couple of companies that own a bunch of stations. The state, I worked for one of those big companies, but I also worked for an independent radio station for a long time. And what we could get away with and what we could do is a lot cooler. We didn't have to call like Houston, Texas to be like, yo, like we're going to add this record. Is that cool? Um, like, you know, call their corporate headquarters where if I wanted to play a song on the air and it was new and I thought it was cool, I would just put it on. And there's no like no one telling me. I mean, I'm, the program director could call me and be like, what the hell are you doing? This song sucks. <laughs> But you usually get it cleared by him, like, hey, like, this is going to be cool, or him or whoever it was. Like, do, do you think, can I play this? Like, I think it's cool. And then they'd go, yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't like you had to get the, you know, the suit in New York to, to clear it, and mm-hmm. it, which is, is different. But in, in the same regard, like, you have to play the songs that our people are familiar with in a 15 minute increment because that's what's going to keep people interested. So if you turn the radio yeah. on, it's going to take you 15 minutes to get to the grocery store and 15 minutes to get home. You better be playing three songs, at least two of three that someone cares about or they're going to leave and go somewhere else on the radio dial, which is just like such a fascinating thing to me. Yeah, it's uh, what is it? The, the coasting feeling. You can't rock the boat too much because 
uh, life is already hard enough. You don't want to be turning on your media and just be blasted by consistent intelligence. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's I right. need not think for a minute, you know. Yeah. Uh, I it's, get it. I well, it's it. interesting because the the in San Diego, it was, we had a beat, we're a beach town, and like Bob Marley was like the biggest artist in the planet there. So mm-hmm. like people were saying, and no one ever did it, which I don't understand why, but like there is basically this saying that if you wanted to have the number one radio station in San Diego, all you'd have to do is just play like legend on repeat. Just put that <laughs> record on and just let and like don't stop it because and there's going to somebody's going to catch it at a different time or even put it on shuffle. So it's not playing the same order of the record, but like, basically you're going to keep people engaged for the short period of time that matters when it comes to the ratings of the station, mm. because people are going to stay on it for say six, seven minutes. Cause they look like Bob Marley and then leave. Yeah. But you know, yeah. and your numbers are going to go. Like, <laughs> yeah. Through the, through the roof. And thank God, because uh, oh. Lord, what like his music was so it ticked all of the boxes, didn't it? It's oh, just, yeah. I mean, oh, he's obviously one the greatest, out. one yeah. of the greatest to ever live, but Such a powerful, beautiful, peaceful, loving message. Um, you know, I mean, that that could be on the radio all day, right? And it's just, yeah, it's just if interesting. You're, though, you're like, learning you, and you're taking home something as well with music yeah. like that. Well, they're only are- looking at people in in that such a short time limit that like, yeah, Bob Marley's amazing. But if you were to sit down and put that radio station on in an eight hour block, you might be like, OK, and like three or four days in, you know, I'd be like, all right, I'm pretty much <laughs> over this album for the next, you know, six months. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question for you. Um, so you have a song in your head and you can't get it out and you don't like the song. It's horrible, basically. What is your emergency song to get out of your head? Oh, man, that's a good question. I might steal that for future interviews. Because I have one. When I have something stuck in my head, it's I I recommend have one. (laughs) Bob Marley. I don't I don't have one. And that's a great idea. And that's something I definitely need to steal away to steal that question. But. Um, and I'll credit you. I'll say her was interviewing. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was interviewing Wallace Bird and she told me <laughs> this. So I'm going to use this, but I don't know. I'd have to really think about that one. Whenever I, if I have some stuff stuck in my head or I, I like, I don't, I'm sick of hearing like pop radio or whatever. I will go and like find like a nineties hip hop playlist oh, yeah. on, yeah. on Spotify. Cause it's like, I like the beat. I like the the cadence or whoever the artist is. And I don't necessarily know all the words. So it's not going to like, I know the hook, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, I can get a different vibe from, and then it might be another, a song from an artist that I don't know because it's not, or I know the artist, but I don't know that particular song off the, whatever record it decides to, to feed me at the time. But I don't know. What would your song be? I don't have a specific. Um, I, I have an emergency song and it's, um, Oh, it's um, Delight. Uh, grooves in the heart. It's just, there's okay, it's yeah, yeah. On it. So at any point in that song, you can just go, um, woo, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. One, two, three. You know, uh, there's just a thousand hooks in that. We'll just get the other song out of my head. Um, have you ever done a yeah, cover of that just, one? Because I know, you, I mean, you have some amazing cover songs that you do. I do. Yeah, I like, I, I grew up doing cover songs. Um, they were my first gigs, 18, 19, 
Oh, sorry, uh-huh. 17. I, I was even not, I was drinking in the pub and I wasn't even allowed to at 17, 18. Right. Um, bold girl. Wow, I'm so rock and roll. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that song actually, no, I've never covered that. It's just, it's there's too a bit too much going on in it. Yeah. Uh, like, where do you go? Like, do you go with Bootsy in the bass? Do you go with the drums? Do you go with the singer? Okay. Do you, oh my God, do you do the rap? <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> like... No, I'll just listen to it. I won't even bother learning that one. Okay. I love your cover of uh, the Massive Attack song, Teardrop. Ah, cheers. Yeah. What That's a great song. one. Uh, everybody's covered that. I, I do love a good cover of that song because it's it's a real indicator of what kind of music the person plays. I think that's right. a great thing about a cover, yeah? Uh-huh. Like, how do they see the world through this song? Because everybody knows this song. So it's it's nice to be given that real deep insight because that song is beloved it's a bit like you know a rite of passage for musicians or something to love that song uh-huh, and so uh-huh. if you do a cover of it i think it gives a lot more than the artist th- it gives a lot more away than the artist actually thinks yeah no i completely agree what i thought was crazy is uh here in the state i don't know if you have the show house out there it's about the doctor um, that's on he's yeah. like addicted to vicodin right Right. Uh, I've only ever seen it a couple of times. Yeah, sorry. The intro, like the song, the theme song for the intro of the 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 show is Teardrop by uh, Massive Attack, which I thought was like, that's a, I was like, yeah, I was like, whoa, I I believe it's the original. I'm pretty, I'm like almost 100% sure it's the original. Now I could have to go check it out, but um, it is. They use the original. Now I just, I just looked real quick. Um, Yeah. I was like, wow, that's a bold move. (laughs) But it worked. Yeah, for real. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Seriously, yeah. You, you you have to live up to that song, whatever you're choosing to pick for. And and also famously, Massive Attack are so um strict about who they allow to um cover that song. They're so strict. I've had a bunch of friends that were not allowed to Wow. Um yeah, we're not allowed to publish their version. Massive Attack just went, no. Interesting. No, and, and and some of them were excellent and i loved them but they were just like no not not today so, wow yeah. that's that says something about you and your cover then right to get the stamp and get the validation that you could actually go forward and put it out uh no i i i would i'd actually no i that would be that would be omitting a truth because if you cover a song and you don't change a lyric and you don't uh you don't change a chord structure so that it's indece- indecipherable then you're allowed to cover it Oh, but if you change, oh. if you change a rhythm, if you change a lyric, if you change um, chord patterns, then you have to get, um, then you have to get the, okay, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Even if it's just, yeah, you can, you can cover anybody's song as long as it sounds um, relatively the same. Oh, okay. And, but if, you know, after you released it, if they still don't like it, then you have to pull it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, well, there you go. <laughs> I'm learning so much. <laughs> well, I want to get back to you real quick. So, okay, you put out a record or your your debut EP independently, and then mm-hmm. you end up signing with Island Records. What the same year? Was it off of that EP? Yeah, um, off that EP, I got um, some uh, TV exposure. Got some uh, things went uphill for me. Very um nicely well, tell and, me about uh, that like what, what was the what was the moment was the draw how did that happen 
I would like to say that, well, I mean, the song was unusual. It was very, very strange. And it wasn't, didn't sound like anything that was being played on um, local radio at the time. But I put it down to my manager, um, Peter Putz, who was just like bashing down doorways and just being like, you have to play this song. And then he'd show up to the radio station again and be like, did you play that song? I'm listening. I'm staying here until you play that song. And he doesn't talk at all like that. He's a really gentle, very sweet, um, funny fucking guy. And um, he's he's just like he just went in and charmed the pants off everybody. And they really enjoyed having him around. So they didn't mind that he was being like, you got to play the song again. And um, yeah, I would I'd like to. I mean, of course, you have to have some sort of talent and you have to have some sort of something. But um I wouldn't be where I am without my management. Um, Peter Putz and Liz Riches, um, they were the ideas people. They looked after me. They said what you should do. And, you know, this will help you. They helped me set up my own publishing company, my own uh, recording label. And they said, look, before anybody else takes interest, you must have the most interest in your music. So that's where you should start. And I thought, well, that's that sounds very um like a natural progression rather than, you know, somebody has to like your music and in order for you to feel validated about your talent or your worth, somebody has Mm -hmm. to like you. Mm -hmm. Um, They just said, you love your music, you should own your music. And um, so I took it from there. And that was, their ethos became my ethos for sure. And um, that's look, look of having um, a good gut feeling about them, about enjoying how they talked with people, watching them talk with people and um, enjoying how they represented me, how they would talk about me in a room and just feeling like, yeah, I think this is the right person for me and I can trust them. And um, they're also transparent about business. So I would say a lot of my, a lot of my career uh, worth and uh, ethics towards working with others comes from watching them mm-hmm. just had a good mentor yeah good good feeling and a good mentor yeah you ended up moving to berlin are you in berlin right now yeah i'm in berlin right now yeah. yeah okay so you ended up moving to berlin uh and what was that what made that decision um i couldn't get couldn't wait to get out of london so i signed with um island records and um did the album with them. I licensed mm-hmm. the album with them. And uh, then after that, after that album was done, I really hated being in a big machine and having to deal with 20 people when I wanted one answer. Um, did you, so, sorry, real quick. Uh, did you move to mm-hmm. London? When did you move to London? Was it after college or after going to? Uh, the, yeah, I went, I, I went to the school in Dublin and then mm-hmm. I uh, moved. I got a, um, a scholarship to study in Germany um, and I decided to do that for three months because that was where the guy, my my current manager, well, my manager, uh, that's where I met him. So I was like, fuck it, I'll go over to that guy. He seems nice. Let me see what he can do. And then I ended up living in Germany for three years. Then we recorded the EP. The EP went well. Ireland picked me up. And um, then I moved to London and I stayed there for six years. Um mm-hmm released an album with um island released an album with columbia and then i moved to germany okay 
and uh, signed one last last um, Sony deal. And, and ever since then, it's it's always been like licensing one album at a time um, because you still own your work and, mm-hmm. you know, it comes back. Everything comes back to you after a certain period of time. But you you own your work. Um, and I've been living in Berlin for nearly 10 years now. Nearly wow. 10 years. Yeah, it's um, it's a lovely, it's a heaven, heavenly spot. It's afforded me a great life, I mm-hmm. have to say. Times are changing. Com- like yeah, capitalism is, is hitting here big time. It used to be the case that, you know, you're... Um, you wouldn't have to work to afford to live. You could just take Joe jobs to afford to live here. Um, and that afforded me a lot, a lot of time to, um, to think rather than having to work two jobs a day to try and pay my rent, you know, mm-hmm. as is the case also in London and Dublin. Oh yeah. I heard it's really expensive to live there. Yeah. It's, I mean, you, you can't live. Yeah. It's not life. No, That's, it's, yeah. it's no life. It's, yeah, it's a very competitive, you know, you're, you're fucked. You come home after working your two jobs and you just can't, all you want to do is, you know, scroll through your phone and, you know, that's, yeah, it's just, you need to think, you need to have time to think really. Sure. Yeah. Well, like from living, when you moved to Berlin, what would you say like your, your biggest highlight, like milestone moment in your musical career has been up until, I want to say up until like after you release Woman. Ooh, my biggest milestone. Um, I think that the big things for me, the the big things for me is that um, things are still going uh, lovely, and I'm happy with how things are going. Um, I think a claim on a on a peer level means a lot to me. Um, it's nice to be recognized by people that you love their work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that comes with experience. Um, as Madonna says, the the most, what is it? The most, um, not scandalous. It's another word for kind of, it's like almost a scandalous, but in a, in an artistic way, what's the, what's the biggest thing that you've done in your career? And she's like, stick around. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, so I think there's something to be said said about like I consistently love what I'm doing. I consistently travel to new areas of what I'm doing, um, mm-hmm. trying out new sounds, and I'm always enjoying what I'm doing. And um, I I don't consider it, um, you know, that to me is the big milestone. That's the only thing that matters actually, um, mm-hmm. but little things that make you go, it's nice that I've put so much work in is when somebody really awesome, like an awesome peer says, I really dig your work or something. Then those are the, it's nice to get that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And where were you at when the pandemic hit? I was on the road or. I was actually, I just formed a band um, this awesome band with uh, an Irish Irish group called Wyvern Lingo, and we were going to tour for the whole year, and it was going to be brilliant. And then we were playing a, a live national TV gig, and uh, they were like, "Okay, straight after the gig, everybody put your masks on. You have to go home." And um, we were at the far side of the country, um, 
we didn't think that it was going to be emergency uh, battle stations straight away. And uh, so I stayed in I stayed in Germany for the stay in Berlin for the whole time. Only got home a year later. What about you? Uh, we were in San Diego when it happened. And well, I'm curious you had a mat. They were already having you guys wear masks before that TV perform- performance. Yeah, so it was um, encouraged to, there wasn't even testing or anything like that, um, which, uh, not PCR, antigen testing, which is mandatory here like three times a week. Um, Still? No, not anymore now. Everything's everything's (laughs) chilled quite a bit here now. Um, Okay. Before Christmas, it was like, if you were working in an office, it was mandatory three times a a week test and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, we had to wear... um, masks it was i mean it was um yeah i mean you're breathing in other people's air for like fucking eight hours in a venue it's rotten when i think of it now i'm like never ever going to not wear a mask again in a venue yeah well i mean i can smell that person like (laughs) well like with with the television performance like what month was that in march yeah that was in um, march 19th so the march 20th was the Oh, okay. the actual lockdown so we were driving okay. overnight got okay that makes sense because i was order. thinking like they were it was like around that same time when they shut down everything here uh i didn't so i guess yeah the massing would make sense that that was already like in the air like okay we should probably put these on like that's why i didn't know if they're like okay we're still everything down and here's you gotta put this on when you leave but yeah I, that makes yeah. sense You're now talking about like Italy is an hour and a half flight from here, you know? Yeah, I so, know. It's so, cl- everything's so close. Yeah. So you, you could be in a room. The, this was it. it was, I mean, it was like that. We, you know, we had to be careful in case you had it, you gave it to somebody else. So it was like, just had to be careful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, it's nice. So, I, I like the mask actually. I find it nice to be anonymous and it's also good against the cold and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> I used to think they were crazy whenever I visited Japan. It's like, why is all where it's it's mad? And now I'm like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, they've been on it for years, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they uh, get cold far less. Yeah. Um. Well, now I'm curious to hear about your new record. Hands well, coming it's out. Like, uh, May May twenty seventh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. God, you know your homework. Um. Yes, May 27th is the new album's coming out. Um, and who knows, it could be the last one. I mean, God of all nighty, but the way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. Well, tell me about the record. When did you start writing it? Um, I started writing it on the 7th of December. That was the very first session. Normally, I wouldn't know that kind of thing because it just writing as a collection of pieces that I've gathered over whatever, 20, 30 years or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one, everything, I I was empty. I had nothing in the well. And uh, my manager told me I should go and play with Peter, one of his, uh, go and play with Philip, one of his other acts. And I was like, yeah, man, I'll I'll give anything a try because I've got nothing. And um, went over to his house for the first week in um, 7th of December. Is this 2021? 2022. Sorry, 20, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 21, yeah. So not that uh, long ago. Over, no, I mean, the whole album started in, on the 7th of December and then it was finished on the 27th of November. So wow. written, recorded everything. It was a splurge. It was just, 
it was very well needed. Obviously, I had, you know, some kind of a gridlock that was dying to get broke down. And uh, Philip did that. He, he brought a whole new sound, a whole new environment into my life and a whole new way of thinking about it. Like I gave up drinking. Um, I started exercising. Uh, I started meditating. It, it was a very different approach for me. I thought, well, you know, you've been a party girl. You've been a, you know, stimulants. Um, mm-hmm. And the only exercise that I would get is from touring. And I just thought, why don't I just treat myself nicely and um, and see what happens then? And, and I mean to say, like, my body couldn't wait. So, yeah, it just exploded into creativity. It was great. Congratulations. Was there, was it difficult to stop drinking? Um, for me, I'd been practicing for a couple of years. Like I'd go off for okay. a couple of months and then go on hard. And so it just got harder and harder to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept pushing the envelope more and more. And I just realized, ah, look, you know, you're doing this on purpose to see how far you can push it before you give up, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um. And so I've been off it for a year and three months now. And um, that's huge. Have, Congratulations. Have, thanks very much. Yeah. It's like the way the, the benefits that I've got from it way outweigh um, any other feeling. And also, I'd like I practiced drinking my whole life. It was like, come on, do something different. <laughs> Just try it. I only ask because I haven't drank. I, I, I don't drink either. And it's been, but I was a similar way. Like, you know, I went too hard yeah. all the time. And uh, I was like, right. well, it's, <laughs> should probably uh, get a grip on my life here. Um, took other people to yeah. tell me that, but hey, uh, it's been nearly five years, but. Oh, fair I, play. I appreciate that. But like, I mean, over a year is, I mean, a year and three months is in- incredible. Congratulations. It's so massive. It's, it's, isn't the gains from it are great. It's oh, not, yeah. it's not rock and roll, but fuck it. I mean, we want to be around for a bit longer, don't we? Like, you know. <laughs> want to be able to appreciate things and not be just covered in a cloud or something. Yeah. Five mm-hmm. years. That's, that's amazing. That's really, really good. What was the, um, what was the point for you? Uh, just taking it way too hard and my wife being over it. Yeah. <laughs> it was the whole thing. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. so I was, I gotta do, I gotta get, I gotta stop or I'm going to lose everything here. So I did. And, you know, after after a while, you stop caring. I mean, it's it's weird. Like you stop having those like cravings for it. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm sure after a year, you've probably re- re- like are probably at that point. I mean, I don't I don't know, but like once you get to a certain point, like I don't like I can be around it now. Like I can drive. It's like I could drive everyone. Like so, I'm like kind of just like the guy that you know. I I found a way to have fun and not have to partake, and it that was difficult for me to do at the beginning and and i don't know how, something just finally clicked where i'm like you know what who cares yeah yeah that for, also for me was the thing to have fun without needing to drink yeah. or be around people that were drunk and not need to to be on their level yeah sure especially or, when it came to like going to concert i mean in your like your your line of work i mean you got to be out and about all the time right and for me like you'd go to a show and then it'd be like all around these people and i'm like well okay at least I'm not spending X amount of dollars on this one drink and I'm, you know, like, and it doesn't really matter that much. And then once you like kind of get all the noise out of your head, it just becomes 
you know, almost routine to where you're like, you know, I don't, it's just, I'm fine without this. Yeah. And you find you don't really lose, you don't lose anything you gain. Uh, like you become more present in your friendships, mm-hmm. become mm-hmm. more present in the room. Um, like I, I didn't become judgmental. That was one thing that I was like, I'm definitely not going to judge my friends that do drink. And if I'm going out, I'm not going to make a big deal about not drinking at all because you don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable or something or like right, be, right. you're being watched or something like that. But it's also that I felt like I had the other side of the coin where it's like, are people going to be like, why aren't you like, like, you know, like they pregnant. think I'm judging, but that's, but it, yeah, it's like, but in my brain, it's like, that's just my own, you know, insecurities and character defects going like all these people care what I <laughs> like, what I'm doing. No one does. Right. Oh, oh, man. He's just not drinking. You know, it's just like one of those weird warps that you have to just get through at, at points in your life. And that's still something I have to work on. Like, oh, I get, I, I'm not on a stage. Not everybody's wondering what I'm doing or care what I'm, <laughs> what I have going on right now. They're just living their own life. Yeah. That's a very good point for life in general, isn't it? Like, yeah, you, you spend so much time worrying about what other people are thinking about you and they're just not. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. No one else cares. What is it? There's a <laughs> saying, it's something like, I got to remember it now. It's something like, uh, I'm not that I'm not that much, but I'm all I can think about. Like something like yeah. well, <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. It's it's so true. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> that's really good. I'm not that much, but I'm all I can think about. Or I'm not yeah, it's something along those like I don't know if I said it perfectly, but it's something along those lines like okay, Yeah, I'm not that much, but uh, it's all I I'm all I can think about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's really good i'll steal that one do it it's <laughs> all you i stole it from someone else and i can't remember and i don't even know if i'm stealing it correctly <laughs> but um it's yeah but it's just interesting so that's crazy that you were able to you know kind of have those that you know totally like life change and in the same regard write like a whole record and have it done within what like a sh- very short period weeks. of time. Yeah. <laughs> it was outrageous. Um, I, I love working fast. I love being efficient, um, but not at the cost of, uh, of value. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think you can just, you can use your tools better and then work and, and work quicker and smarter. Um, and st- but you're still drawn out from the, the correct um, value of everything. Um. So just being around like a, a maestro, he, uh, Philip Milner was a maestro and he's, um, he's a jazz maestro. So that means the chap has like chords that you just, you, you just go limp because you, how does somebody have that many? Um, I love jazz and I really missed jazz. So I was like, okay, Philip, can you do me as many modulations of this chord as possible? And then, you know, he'd go off. For seventy mm-hmm. chords, and then I'd say, "All right, okay, we're we're going to use every single one of them on the <laughs> on the <laughs> on the record because it makes." And in the end, I'm like, I can't play it, but I have to learn it. So that's right. like incentive to get like me to that. kick, you know, kick my ass. So yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, you say in the you say the record's called Hands, and you say it's nine and a half songs for nine and a half fingers. Mm-hmm. And what's the half song? The half song is the one with 70 chords on it. It's the last uh-huh. song. Yeah. Okay. And it's, 
almost double the length of every other song on the record. It's um, <laughs> yeah. So it's not it's, really a half. Uh, no, no, it's 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 kind of I did that because I I wanted to explain without saying um, that the song has multiple parts to it, and I couldn't. I couldn't let, I, I didn't want to cut any part out of it because each one informed the other. And um, I also liked the idea of saying that a half a song needs to just take as long as it needs to take to tell you what it's about. Um, it's also one with a huge amount of space in it. Um, there's a two minute instrumental piece because I'm like, oh, lyrics don't always tell the story, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, for some people, it's a half song, but for me, it's 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 enough. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I can't wait to hear it. I've the only the song you have out now is called Pretty Lies, right? Is that the only one you've released from the record? Uh, so I did Pretty Lies and the A side to that song. Pretty Lies is the B side and uh, the A side is called What's Wrong With Changing. Oh, OK, so, I've heard that yeah. one as well. I didn't know that was oh, that was on the record as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's they're kind of bookending the album really okay um, yeah i just brought out those a couple a uh, couple of weeks ago um mm-hmm. to sh- well to show off a kind of a political stance at the start of an album and uh, a humanitarian stance i should say and uh, also to to show what the live show is going to be like if we ever get back on the road and in venues again so <laughs> as a what is it self fulfilling prophecy or something like that Something I think you'll be to. you'll be back. Yeah, I think there'll be something. I think, uh, I mean, stuff's sort of opening, or it was, and then it wasn't, and then it was. You had a tour booked, right, for twenty twenty two? Yeah, um, I have a Were tour you- in. Sorry, yeah, I'm hoping to come over to America in summer. Um, there's a couple of things in the pipeline that hopefully they work out, so I'll get over for a um a short tour in the summer. And um, there's a tour around Europe in mm-hmm. autumn. Um, yeah. I mean, in terms of traveling outside of Europe at the moment, I have to see what the story is, you know, especially like there's a war about to happen on my doorstep as well. So it's like, yeah, I can't even imagine that. Uh, and yeah, just watching the news here, anything. it's like, yeah, it's scary. And I'm, and you got, you're really, you know, quite close to, yeah, to all really of that. Close. Yeah. Yeah. We're only so, um, yeah. Yeah. We'll just have to see. We'll just have to see, like, um, doing benefit concerts and protests and just showing face. Um, yeah, showing face, trying not to um, lose our mind in posting the shit out of it because we're mm-hmm. just, we're, we're being told by the government to not go crazy posting and to actively seek out correct um, news sources and um, to gather your thoughts about what's happening rather than to just go. So, Oh, okay. I love that kind of leadership. Tell me what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Needs a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like half trust. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, that whole thing is hopefully it'll be end sooner than, then everyone yeah sooner than anything right i mean geez so nobody um, needs war no not at all um Mm -hmm. but i really appreciate your time this has been so awesome wallace you've been awesome adam you're deadly thank you so much a real pleasure 
Well, yeah. I have one more question. I'm going to bring it back to your, your original thought. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. I do. Um, love what you do. Love what you do to death before you hand it over to anybody, before you go looking for uh, teams or uh, validation. Love, love, love what you do and do it as deeply and as lovingly as you can. Push yourself and love it before you go to anybody else, I would say. 